Mitchell Bail Bonds is located in the basement of a four-story row house in Chinatown, just a few blocks from Superior Court in Washington, D.C. Martis Mitchell mm-hmm. sits at a cluttered desk, a cigarette in one hand, a telephone in the other. What is your husband charged with? Kidnapping? With snow-white hair and a mustache, wearing a silk tie and suspenders under a Pierre Cardin suit, 59-year-old Martis Mitchell looks like a banker or a stockbroker. I'm a surety agent. The court refers to me or my company as the surety. It's just like like a bank that takes a chance on making loans. They make their money by the, the premiums that they get, you know what I mean? It's early afternoon, and Mitchell greets his first customer of the day. How you feel, sir? Not bad. Yourself? Good, little child. Been running around like a chicken with no head. 19-year-old Larry is in D.C. jail, charged with assaulting his wife. It's a misdemeanor. His bail has been set at $1,000. His mother has dispatched the family minister with a wad of money to get Larry released. Did she explain to you that you're going to have to sign for this bond? Oh, explain it to me. Okay. It works like this. For $300, Mitchell will post Larry's bond. In other words, he'll give the court a promissory note for $1,000 and Larry will be released. If Larry makes all his court appearances, Mitchell gets the $1,000 promissory note back and returns all but $100 to Larry's mother. The $100, 10% of the bond, is Mitchell's commission. The extra $200 is collateral to be used to hire a bounty hunter in the event Larry jumps bail. Okay, Reverend. Thank you so much, sir. a receipt. And uh, we'll have him out sometime today. I can't give you any specific time, but it'll probably be sometime between now and five. Okay, sir. Okay, sir. Thank Thank you very much. Thank you, Reverend. Have a good day, Before agreeing to write the bond, Mitchell has done some checking around and concluded that Larry is unlikely to jump bail. He has a job and only one prior arrest. It's typical of the kind of low-risk cases Mitchell likes. When one of his clients does jump bail, Mitchell calls Robert Anderson. Anderson is a bounty hunter, or as Mitchell likes to call him, a fugitive recovery agent. Because bounty hunter, I, I, I don't like that term. It's like the Old West and like, you know, like in the movies and stuff. And it's not like it's a far cry from the way it is in the movies. On this particular day, Mitchell has found out that a client named Vernell missed her latest court appearance. Mitchell posted Vernell's $1,000 bond a few months earlier after she was arrested on a felony charge, possession of heroin. He hasn't been able to reach her by telephone, so he's asked Anderson to try to find her and bring her in. Before the contact is Angie. Anderson drops by the office to pick up the background sheet and Vernell's mugshot. Okay. She's going to be easy to spot. He makes a few phone calls, then hops in his black Bronco and heads out. Minnesota Avenue. If there was a poster for recovery agents, Robert Anderson might be the model. Tall, well-built, and handsome, he's dressed in black and dark blue, jeans, a Navy SEALs baseball cap, and flight jacket. He's unarmed, unless you count his black belt in karate. 37 years old, with a degree in criminal justice, Anderson's been hunting bail jumpers for the past 12 years, with a vengeance and a mission. I don't like people preying on, on, on weaker people. That's that's pretty much why and I do what I do. I see it as a contribution to society. I think it's, it's morally, morally correct to do. When hired by a certified bail bondsman, recovery agents are permitted to enter the homes of fugitives without a search warrant. 
apprehend them, and if necessary, transport them across state lines. There have been occasions when Anderson has had to improvise, like the time he chased a fugitive ten blocks, and because Anderson had lent his handcuffs to his partner, when he finally caught up with the defendant, he had to use some creative techniques to bring him in. I, I, I pulled his pants down by his knees and took his belt off and, and tied his belt around his hands and I walked him in the middle of the street with his pants down to his knees so he couldn't run and took one of his shoes off and left his shoes there so he couldn't run. So I, he, he didn't know what to do. As Anderson chases his leads, back at the office, Martis Mitchell has another customer. Now what, uh, what is needed to get, uh, to get him out? Okay, we're getting right to that. This woman's nephew, Thomas, is being held on a $1,000 bond after being picked up for possession of a handgun, a felony in the District of Columbia. She and two other relatives have pitched in to pay the $300 Mitchell requires to get Thomas out of D.C. jail. Mitchell has also been in touch by telephone with the defendant's mother. And these mothers always say the same thing. I'll kill them if they don't show up. I'll do this and I'll do that. They're punks, <laughs> these guys. Uh, I mean, but mo- most of the guys, I will say, most of most of the defendants, they, they show up for their mother. <laughs> Look, <laughs> no ifs, ands, or buts, he will be there. Because, see, my mother will make sure. Cool. Yeah, when, he, when uh, he's due at 9 o'clock in the morning, and, and the judge, the only excuse the judge will take for failure to appear is death in the family, his death. Thank you so much, and thanks for waiting. Mitchell then goes down to the courthouse with two $1,000 promissory notes, one for Thomas's bail and the other for Larry's, the defendant charged with assaulting his wife. A little while later, after all the paperwork has been processed, Mitchell arrives at D.C. jail to get his clients released. What's happening? He passes out pocket-sized calendars with his company's name and number on them to jail staff. An hour later, he walks out of jail with Thomas and Larry, who, as Mitchell had predicted, are singing his praises. I mean, it wasn't for him, I I would probably still be in there. Because, I mean, he took the time, his effort to come on down here to get us on out of here, you know, so I owe my greatest gratitude and thanks to him. Um, I think, like like he said, you know, without him, I wouldn't be free, so I'm happy, you know what I'm saying, that he helped me out to get out here to be free. Because, you know what I'm saying, not, my, my freedom is worth anything. Mitchell then gives Thomas and Larry his standard post-release speech. They are to call him once every two weeks, show up for court on time. And basically, you know, try not to get another charge while you're out on this bond and everything should be all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Where's the subway? How do I get to the subway or whatever, man? Well, hell, he ain't. It's getting late. Well, Thomas and Larry are wearing okay, prison clothes and Mitchell is going their way, so he gives them a ride home. It's a chance to remind Larry, the one facing the assault charge, to stay away from his wife. Man, don't violate that. Don't violate that stay away order, you know? Because um, they, they, they take that stuff pretty serious now, you know, when it comes to spousal abuse or, you know, assault, spousal assault, anything of that nature. It is not uncommon for defendants out on bail to get another charge. What if Larry were to go back and beat up his wife again? Or if Thomas were to hold up a convenience store? Does Martis Mitchell feel any responsibility for the crimes his clients commit while out on bail? Uh, nah, I, um, I, I really don't know. I, I, I don't want to 
answer that. I, I answer that too fast. I, I just don't know. Um, I, I suppose I do. I suppose I think about it. Um, I guess that's where uh, the bondsmen get a lot of that, that negative, uh, you know, reputation from. The reputation of bail bondsmen in Washington, D.C. certainly wasn't helped when a 1990 investigation by the U.S. Attorney's Office uncovered widespread corruption in the D.C. bail system. Court employees were getting kickbacks from bondsmen for purposely misplacing case files, resulting in bondsmen not having to pay the penalty if their clients failed to appear in court. Martis Mitchell was not a target of that investigation. In fact, he is the only bail bondsman in D.C. to survive the scandal and a 1992 bail reform law, which significantly reduced business for bondsmen. There's a place, I think, for, uh, for bail surety agents such as myself. There's a place for it. I mean, uh, all of us are not mercenaries. Um, since I've been doing the business, I've, I've tried hard to, um, to present a different image. Back out on the streets, recovery agent Robert Anderson is still looking for Vernell, Mitchell's client who missed her court date. We'll check this address right here. This is 4069. This is going to be us here. He's arrived at the basement apartment of Vernell's mother, who comes to the door dressed in her bathrobe. A little girl is holding a small baby on a fold-out bed in front of the television in the living room. The mother lets us in, explaining that Vernell got her court date mixed up. She says Vernell is in the process of trying to find a better place for her four children to live and promises that she'll turn her daughter in this afternoon. And I'll have it at 3 o'clock and I will call you and make sure that you know she's there. Anderson is agreeable but has to call Mitchell and make sure it's okay. Hey, this the deal. I'm over at the mother's house, right? She, she talked to the girl this morning, the defendant, right? She's going to, she's going to, she's guaranteeing me she's going to bring her in by 3 o'clock today. The kid's over at the house and living, you know, in humane conditions. Mitchell agrees, as long as the mother brings Vernell into his office. All right, then. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. I sure appreciate it. Just give me time. All I'm going to do is get my grandchildren out that, that place, Danny. I wish you could see it. You have to see it to believe it. Driving away, Anderson says he believes the story. He could go pick up Vernell right now, but says having the mother bring her in is better for everyone. There's other things to consider when you make an apprehension. I mean, sure, this lady has a charge, but she's still a person. You know, the kids are involved. We don't want to put stress in, the, in their life. We don't want to see the kids, kids see us haul their mother away. And, you know, we don't want that. Kids have enough problems. So they can work it out between themselves. Get some, get someone place for the kids to stay. Mother turned herself in. She can get back out. So we'll just play it. We'll just we'll play it like that. Four o'clock. Vernell shows up at Mitchell's office, escorted by her mother and her sister. Yes, it's me. You happy? Vernell tells Mitchell that she missed her court date because she was never notified. Mitchell doesn't buy it. When they told you to put up your hand. And swear out on the bond. Right. They gave you a piece of paper then, right? And that piece of paper indicated what your next court date was, huh? Well, I can't find no papers or nothing in the miles. Yeah, well, that was Because there's no electricity, no nothing in there. I thought it was the 16th. She'll have to tell her story to the judge, so everyone piles into Mitchell's Cadillac DeVille and drives down to court. Vernell appears briefly before a hearing commissioner 
who sends her back to jail until the judge can hear the case. Outside the courthouse, Mitchell says Vernell has been one big headache. At best, he'll earn only $100 from the case. Half of that goes for insurance and office expenses. At worst, he'll be out $1,000 because Vernell missed her court date. Still, Mitchell says he'd be willing to let Vernell be released into his custody again, if the judge offered. Uh, given her set of circumstances, uh, you know, considering the fact she has a, those four children, they were living in really bad conditions, uh, I, I would almost be willing to take her back out on my bond again if the judge would be willing. Um, I don't know. I'd probably jump on myself if I had those kind of conditions. You know. Earlier in the day, you were saying that you wouldn't take her back. I know, but I'm a sucker, man. <laughs> the issue becomes moot when, three days later, the judge decides to keep Vernell locked up. Because Mitchell brought Vernell in, the judge sets aside the $1,000 forfeiture Mitchell incurred when she missed her court date. And because Martis Mitchell was diplomatic with Vernell's family, they're likely to come back to him if Vernell gets in trouble again. That wouldn't be unusual. In the bail bond business, most customers are repeat customers. I'm Dan Collison.